Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Teacher's Pet Podcast. This is your host, Trey Cabler. We've uh, popped out a couple of new episodes the last week, so make sure that you guys go give those a listen. Really good stuff with a current representative in the Oklahoma legislature, uh, plus a good friend from college. So speaking of good friends, um, even though it's late at night, just got done doing his thing, working out a little bit. We have on uh, an old friend of mine, Kalen Crowder. Kalen, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, what's up, man? My name's Kalen. I we went to the same uh, high school back in the day, Barzwai. I went off to college at Missouri State, played football, and uh, double degreed and communication and marketing for a little bit. Tried my hand at getting an MBA right now, postponed it, because it's a little expensive. But <laughs> Uh, just expire. Uh, I'm a aspiring businessman. That's awesome, man. Well, that's you know that's we got a lot of stuff that we can talk about tonight. But let's dive in. Uh, starting off with that really big part that you mentioned right there, college athlete. Um, obviously, Missouri State is they are they're FBS Division One, right? We are actually FCS Division. Division uh, two, so we still play FBS like OU, OSU, mm. uh, all those big times. But we are just a subdivision right under them. Yeah, still though, man. I mean, playing big time college athletics—that's a that's a really big deal, especially from you know where we're from. I know a lot of people really took a lot of uh, a lot of pride seeing you go out there and be successful. So. Um, Let's, you know, let's start with this, right? Um, a lot of kids in high school, they put a really big priority on athletics and activities outside of just the classroom. Um, growing up, how, how much of your focus did you feel like was on being a good athlete? Uh, that was my, initially, I would say at first it wasn't, it was, my mom was heavily on grades. And then when I knew that I can actually go somewhere and play at a, a pretty good university, then that's when the doors kind of opened and things started clicking. So after a while, I really didn't have time for friends. I, it was strictly football, basketball, track, hardly. we. I mean, even in high school, we hardly ever hung out whenever I did have free time. I was usually asleep or doing work. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, you know, um, as, a, as a teacher, I, I love that my kids have opportunities to go do things they really enjoy, like sports or whatever else it is. But it can be a really, really big time drain. Um, how did you find the time to keep your grades up while you were also dealing with, you know, training and getting better? I can say at first it was a little hard. I can, uh, I would say it was a lot of time management because even some of my uh, high school coaches would also say like after, after practice, I would be waiting for my mom to pick me up and I would just be doing my homework right after practice, sitting on the floor in the locker room or right before practice doing the same thing, just squeezing it in whenever I can, because I knew whenever I got home, I'm exhausted and I want to go straight to bed. Mm. So it was really just trying to time manage all of those aspects. 
Yeah, that's man. That's a, I think that's a really tough thing, uh, even for people that aren't necessarily going to go off and do something with athletics. That's just a really big part of uh, kind of your identity growing up. And a lot of people take it super seriously, even if it's not going to pay off in the long run. Um, whenever when did you realize that you were probably going to be able to go play somewhere? Um, I realized it. my, I would like to say, I mean, I've always had that confidence myself, no matter what I did, but I would say when I started separating myself was my sophomore year when I led the state in certain aspects. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe I can go and play at a bigger university. I mean, at a, a, a play with more competitive athletes at a university per se, or at that type of level. And I started getting letters and calls and so forth. And that's when I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. Yeah. You were uh, certainly somebody I saw from pretty much. I feel like the day I met you, I was like, this kid's a, this kid's a different, different kind of animal, man. You always, uh, you always stood out in that aspect of your life. Now, once you started really realizing that you, you thought you might be able to do something more with it. Um, you said, obviously, probably your family's perspective changed a little bit and everything else. Um, did you feel like you were treated different because of of that status uh, growing up? Um, I think so for myself. I was over I was hype, hyper critical of myself. So if something per se, like with athletics or school, if it wasn't up to the standard that I held myself, I would kind of get on to myself and I would say not necessarily punish myself, but put myself to a certain standard and push myself aside and work on that. So I, I'd never really paid attention to anything outside of like my focus. I was, it was razor like focus. So if I did get treated any other way, I mean, which is, very possible, I wouldn't have noticed because I, like I said, there is an end goal to what I wanted to do. And that's the only thing that I saw. Uh, was that something that you came by naturally because of maybe how you were brought up or was that something that you had to develop over time? I would say that's something I had to develop over time just because a lot of my friends were not, I mean, they're athletes and so forth but some of them didn't have that type of upbringing or that stable foundation background to let them know like, Hey, there is a certain standard you have to hold yourself to. So you can't be doing what everybody else is doing. So that I would say it was just the type of foundation that I was brought up in. It's awesome, man. Um, I want to I want to really focus in on the the whole aspect of, you know, moving on to the next level with an at, with an athletics perspective. Um because, you know, I have students that I know are going to be moving on to that phase in life and it's good for teachers to hear how to help them, right? Um What what would you tell high school athletes who are trying to be successful at the next level? what What's the advice you would give them while they're still in high school? So, oh, okay. 
this is something I was briefly told, but it never really registered until uh, I got into college and then outside of college, that's when it really clicked. But it's more so uh, the four Ps, prior preparation defeats poor performance. Oh no, I think that was, it, that's the gist of it. But what it's saying is prepare now while you can, that's whether it be working out, whether it be school, whether it be reading, because the opportunities later on is going to present itself and you have to be prepared for those opportunities, especially in the collegiate world because it's so competitive and it's your entire life. Like, I mean, I'm working a full-time job now and my full-time job doesn't even compete with the standard that I had to be when I was in college as a college athlete because college athletes, I'm up from four o'clock and my day gets done around 10 o'clock and that's with school athletics all the time. So work hard, focus, you have to stay focused and always be prepared. Mm. Uh, that's, that's good words, man. Um, you know, cause I, I definitely, I have students who it's like, they, they live to play their sport, right? I have a couple kids who whenever baseball season was coming around, it was so hard to get them to do anything else because they were just so excited for it. But, you know, hearing right. that from somebody like you, they might say, you know, he knows he knows better than Mr. Kavler does for sure about what I need to be doing right now. Um, yes. So whenever, a, can you repeat that? I'm sorry. I was just saying that in the classroom, it's a big part of it because you don't think that type of foundation and applications that, you learn in the classroom would apply, but especially I say speech. If you're a really good athlete, you need to know how to talk and articulate yourself in front of your peers so that you can be seen as a leader. And especially if you're really good, you get interviews from news stations and so forth. Like you have to be able to articulate and sound at least smart or proper in that, in that aspect. So. That's a good note, man. Um, you know, one one focus, I think, especially for English teachers, is making sure that our students not only are confident in who they are, right, that we give them an understanding of what's important to them, but also that we give them the ability to talk about that and to, uh, to be vocal about the things that are important to them. So once again, great thing for my students to hear. <laughs> um, so you can start being recruited in your junior year, correct? Yes, but sometimes it starts your eighth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade year, depending on where you're at. So, per se, Barsville, it's not very well known for, say, football. But if you are a standout and you are able to market yourself in a manner, you can see recruitment start as early as eighth, ninth grade. Crazy, man. Whenever you say that concept of marketing yourself, uh, what do you mean by that? So marketing yourself, um, more so in uh, simpler terms, it's just putting yourself in a right position to be seen by recruiters. You can do it yourself, put your own highlight tape together, put it on social media because social media is a very big platform, especially if you're going business-wise or just 
any type of manner, you put that on there, you go and say, reach out to Mark Gundy, for instance. He follows you back. He sees your highlight tape on your Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. That's marketing yourself right there, putting yourself in a position to be seen. Um, how, how important do you think that is, especially with the amount of colleges that are out there and the amount of recruits they have to go through? How important is that marketing to getting to the place you want to be at? It's, it's huge. I got to it late. And if I would have realized that earlier, it would have been a lot easier for those doors to open up going in and less stressful a little bit more, uh, uh, less stressful, excuse me. But it's a, it's a very big aspect of, of uh, recruiting. Mm. Um, so whenever you start getting recruited, obviously, I mean, you had a really standout sophomore year, so I'm sure that some people probably took notice from just your stats and everything else. Um, what, what was the whole process like? I mean, did it start off just by – letters in the mail or was it phone calls? How, how did the whole process play out for you? So the first process started out with phone calls. I got, I received calls from OU, Mizzou and so forth. My head coach received those calls and he would relay them back to me. And then letters started coming in the mail left and right. And that's when I started getting uh, uh, invites to go to camps and go to uh, um, not necessarily like a pro day, but uh, spring games and uh, uh, aspects of, of that type of recruiting. How much, uh, how much pressure did it add on you having to think about all of that while also still being in high school, being a student and also focusing on your athletics? Oh, we put a, a lot of that, a lot of pressure, just because if I didn't get an academic scholarship, I needed to have a, a football scholarship. And I know a football scholarship, nine times out of 10, will pay uh, a full ride to school compared to your academic scholarships where you can get part, uh, part uh, uh, um, scholarships and so forth. So it's... It, it can be pretty big at uh, just those type of scholarships. Excuse me. Lost yeah. train of thought. Second. No, it's all right, man. It's a little late. I understand. Um. So, phone calls start coming in, start getting mail, letters, things like that. As the process progressed, right? Like, obviously, yeah, you got phone calls from OU, Mizzou, at the time. You know, some of the biggest programs in the region for sure. Uh, as the process progressed, did, did the phone calls stop at some point or was it you yourself kind of narrowing down the field of people that you wanted to play for? So my junior year, I had a knee injury, which a lot of the schools backed off because I mean, at that time when a school, uh, you haven't had an offer yet, junior year is pretty important as far as recruiting wise. And I wasn't, because I had a knee injury, I wasn't able to put up the numbers they would have liked at the time. So that took away a lot of those opportunities. So 
there, uh, there came uh, my senior year where I had to stand out to at least get back on the board. Mm. And that's, that's a really, man, that's something I try to stress to these kids all the time that their whole life is sports is that, you know, opportunities can, can dry up really fast whenever something doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Um, did you ever have a moment where you felt like your dream wasn't going to be a reality that you weren't going to be able to play football at the next level? Um, no, it never stopped just because, um, I was going to make, I was going to make it happen regardless of if there was going to be a full ride or not, because I mean, that was, that was the type of determination that I had. And I seen other people who were getting scholarships and I saw how they played compared to how I did and just the talent level and what I can do and what I was willing to put myself through. And going back to what I said earlier, when you were talking about opportunities, prior preparation, defeats poor performance. So I was wanting to prepare and do whatever it took, whether it be however long I was going to make it somewhere, whether I walked on or not. Yeah. Um, before we move on with that whole talk about recruiting, there's, there's something I want to touch on there. Like, obviously you are a very, you're very driven. I know you to be that way. Um, you set goals and you, and you attain them. I'm pretty much at ease. It's not at ease, but whenever you say your goal on something, you make it happen. Uh, right. In that moment, though, where the offers start to go away, um, things aren't going the way that you had planned on it, what, what was your mental process to keep yourself in the game and in the moment? What, uh, what motivated you? Um, it's more – it's all about – and this is going to sound corny, but it's going to be a lot of heart. That's where drive, ambitious goals come from because your heart gives you the power to do a lot of stuff that you aren't, that I wouldn't say necessarily is impossible, but it's very hard to attain. So that's what gets you through a lot of those hard times. And just that drive and determination and just trying to figure it out as best you can. And I mean, you really have to just be very realistic with yourself and see if you're willing to put in the work, even if millions of people say no, someone is going to say yes, eventually. It may not be in the way you think or the way you, it looks like, but the opportunity will be there. So it sounds like you're kind of touching on a, a concept that we talk a lot about in education, which is called a, it's called grit, right? And a, a while back it was there's a, there's a famous study by an education uh, researcher named Angela Duckworth. She has a whole TED talk about it, talking about how people that have grit are super successful in life. Um, I think that that's exactly what you're talking about whenever you're talking about heart and determination. Um, where did you, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's, it's part of your personality, but where do you really think that sense of grit was instilled in you from 
So there's two two things that it resonated from uh, or uh, originated from. One was being on losing teams and getting smashed in multiple categories. You have to figure out, like I said, you have to do a gut check of like, okay, do you really want this? And another aspect was whenever I was working out, pushing myself, running, There's, it's all for a purpose. And whether it doesn't look like what you expect to look at, like at that point in time, you just got to keep on going because eventually you'll get there. Man, I, I wanted to keep going down that vein from earlier, but let's keep running with this, okay? So the no. first thing you said there is uh, being on losing teams, getting beat, right? And uh, as a as a college referee for soccer and things like that, I saw all the time how in youth sports, the only thing that seems to matter to parents who then instill that idea in their kids is winning, which don't get me wrong, winning is absolutely your goal, right? You want to win, you want to be good, but I I resonate with that because I was on a bunch of sports teams growing up that we were crap, and then later on in life, I was like, you know, I developed that ability with different soccer teams and stuff to be like, no, we're going to win this because I know what it's like to lose and I don't like it. Um, Speak to what you feel like the importance of feeling defeat is like. Oh, defeat is awful. Losing sucks. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. But each, I, I don't call them failures. I call them learning opportunities. Each learning opportunity that you have, like I said, it's literally a learning opportunity. You go back and analyze what went wrong, what you had control over, and you just go back and flip it to the best of your ability. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's outside of your control, but you only work with what's inside your control. Mm. And losing losing over and over it's it's the worst feeling you can ever have. So that's why you gotta that's where that other side of grit comes from. You gotta want to win so bad that you don't you leave it all out there on the field. The uh the second thing that you said relating to kind of what instilled that sense of determination in you was that you said uh you know, running, working out, things like that. You and I both know that there's there's moments whenever you're trying to be better that you want to quit, right? That your your body's given up on you, and the only thing you have left is your mind, right? And one of the uh, expectations I always have for my classroom, that's uh, something I'm going to put up on the wall next year, is one of the expectations is do hard things, right? And pushing yourself physically, especially, is, is one of those. How important was you doing those hard things in moments where you didn't want to? How important was that uh, to your success down the road? Oh, it was huge. It's, it is that competitive edge doing things that you don't want to do today so you can do the stuff that you want to do tomorrow it all works back comes back together so even though it sucks and i do it now 
I work out, I run, I do all that stuff because it instills discipline. Great, I mean, great physical attributes that you get from working out as well. And it also helps out your mind, mental processing and relaxation and focus, refocusing. It sucks, but it's a necessary evil that everybody goes through. And the people that don't make it through are the ones where you see that gets very complacent and they're fine where they're at in life. And if you want to be great, that's what great people do. They do a lot of stuff that they don't want to do at that time so they can do the stuff that they want to do later on in life. Beautiful answer, man. Um, okay. Let's get back to that recruiting process. So you start, you know, coming to senior year. I mean, you had a – if I remember correctly, you had a pretty stellar senior year. It wasn't uh, wasn't probably as good as you wanted it to be, obviously, because of how high you set the bar. But uh, I remember you being very successful. Um, so – were there colleges that still kept their offer there even during your junior year where you were injured? Nope. I started at ground zero my senior year. I had no offers, no nothing at all. Nobody even interested. So I had to start from scratch. Um, the first three games in football anyway, I don't know how it is in baseball or soccer. I know I think a lot of soccer is – scholarships you get through what club correct typically yeah that's where you make big looks yeah so in football the first three games of that senior year are usually the biggest in forms of recruiting so if you're able to really stand out those first three games put up say stellar numbers that's when you're going to get those scouts and everybody to look back and pick uh, uh, to put you back on the board with everybody else. So it, uh, it was a lot of hard work, but like I said, the prior work that I put in months and months in the off season and the pre off season paid off my senior year. How well did you do those first three games? Oh yeah. I, I ended up putting up like stupid numbers. The first game I had like 200 and something 200 and something yards in the three quarters. The sec, the second game, I only had like 150 in the third game. I ended up going off for like 200 again. Yeah, I uh, no, I vividly remember that. I just wanted you to say it for yourself so you can take the glory. Uh, man, that that last year, it was that was a lot of fun. I feel like. Um, and this, this relates back to, to education, right, is the sense of community. Um, I feel like the group of students that we had uh, in our graduating class, there was a real sense of everybody was just kind of for everybody in large part. Um, mm -hmm. And it created, a, it created a really good atmosphere because I feel like in the classroom, just in the hallways, everything about it was was – better than it is today and i you know that's in part from technology social media kids being on their phone all the time instead of talking to each other things like that but right. uh you know you end your senior year uh had you already committed to a team by the time that we got done that year i did not i had an offer i had an offer 
right after the season for Missouri State, and that's where I ended up committing to. Hmm. Um, what was that your only offer, or I? The only D1 offer. A lot of the other ones were D2. And trying to remember, I believe a lot of the D1s wanted me to walk on, like K-State. Um, Preferred walk-on? Uh, yeah, OSU and uh, uh, University of Colorado. But I think it was all D2s wanted me to uh, – I mean, I got some offers from the D2s, but – yeah, all that work. But, I mean, like I said, there was a door open. It was a small D1, and you make the best with the opportunity you're given. So you're, uh, you know, Missouri State's not a – it's not super small by any means. It's a good state college. has a good, a good college football program, especially for its size. Um, what – what was the ultimate deciding factor that made you go there as opposed to anywhere else? I would say that it's, I just wanted, that was the further, furthest place from Barsville. So I wanted to go there and see how it was. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a really nice campus as well. When I first went there, people were really nice. The recruit, I mean, the team, the team was really cool too. I mean, it looks like a nice little opportunity to take. So, look for it. Awesome. So we'll jump ahead. Go ahead and start into your college career now. Talking a little bit about what it was like to be a student athlete. Um, you've already told us, you know, your crazy routine and schedule. Um, I know my friends. Uh, that were athletes at OU would, you know, talk about the same thing. It's just crazy, especially during in-season. Um, seems like your time just evaporates. So how much of an adjustment did you have going from being in high school, being an athlete, to being a college athlete? Uh, there was a little bit of an adjustment, but not too much just because – and a lot of aspects. That's what I had. That's the type of routine I had prior to getting into college. The only difference was I didn't work out as heavily as you have to in college. But like I said, it's from four, almost four thirty, five o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So it's, it's dedication, but you have to know that you love the sport that you're playing or, and it's not – I wouldn't necessarily say you love the sport you, that you're playing. You have to know that you want to be the best at whatever you're doing. And there has to be something more that drives you because lots of football players that are great, great athletes, they end up quitting because they don't have that drive or that passion to be the best at what they're doing. And yeah. people can place them. It's a good note, man. I mean, you get into college, um, you were, you know, by far easily the best running back probably at, at your at the high school level at your school. Um, and then you jump into college and you're in there competing with a bunch of grown men, people that are just as good as you, probably better than you whenever you walk into that room just because they've had more time in there. Um, grown. 
grown men, yeah. Uh, so you walking in as a freshman. Um, I can't remember. Did you redshirt? Yeah, so there was a competition between myself and another freshman. Uh, he ended up being a true freshman, got a little bit a limited carries, and I ended up sitting out that year. Let's talk about that for a second. So, I mean, like, Reg, like, you know, you go in with these high aspirations. You're very driven. What was it like to have to take a redshirt year? Um, were you frustrated with that, angry? Like, what were you thinking in the moment? Oh, I hated it. I hated every aspect of it. I thought it was stupid. I was ready to transfer schools. I was ready to get up and out of there. And then you have that freshman year where you're like, oh, I want to be back home. You're homesick. And you have to go to school and do all this other stuff. It was, it was annoying. Um, even, even through that annoyance was, did it affect your perspective um, of being driven? Like, did it, did you have that moment of complacency where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore? No, never had that complacency because I, like I said, when you hold yourself to a certain standard, you're going to reach that standard, whether it be there, whether it be at another school, whether it be D2, D3, whatever it is, because, I mean, if your aspirations are going to the NFL, there's people that go to the NFL from D3, D2, D1, and there's actually there's actually a lot of statistics saying that D2 or D2 and D1 players that aren't uh, 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 rated stars, like big-time players from high school and from college, end up playing in the NFL for longer. So... Probably because of that determination factor. Um, so, I mean, obviously you were frustrated. Uh, what convinced you to stick it out and keep going where you were? Uh, it's because I had, I mean, I felt like I had no other option but to stick it out. Because when you start something, you finish it all the way to the end. There's Dude, no other option. Oh. I uh, mean, not to bad. That's a great thing to say, man. Um and that's a that's a mentality that I feel like you can you can say if you agree or disagree. I feel like um, kids who are you know the age that we were whenever we graduated now they've grown up in a very different world than we we did even though it's only about you know ten years difference. Um, I feel like that mentality of finishing what you start has gone away, especially with um, the advent of things like transfer portal and things like that and uh don't get me wrong like it's a it's a great thing that you can transfer and immediately be able to play i think that's a good thing i don't have a problem with it but every year you look at the amount of kids who decide to transfer um and it's getting bigger and bigger and um yeah i don't know it's a good there has to be a balance between what's best for student athletes but also um this idea that you you put in the time to the place you're going to commit to, right? Uh, yes. What do you What do you think about that? So I agree with the aspect that yeah, you like you said, and you're referring back to. I mean, you start what you finish, but I also think if you're not in that type, if you're not in a right position 
to blossom, then you do need to find and put yourself into a system that will help you gain the skill sets that you need to do, uh, that you need so you can be the best version of yourself. It may take two tries, it may take three. It may be on one, it just depends on what what you want to accomplish there. And for Missouri State, for myself, I felt like they were going to give me the skill sets and the mindset to go and develop so that I can be the best version of myself. And that goes with anything in life, right? It's like you find uh, if you're not in the right environment, then you have to go find find the right one. But don't give up too fast because usually whenever you stick it out and hustle as hard as you can, good things happen. Um, exactly. When did you start getting regular touches uh, playing quite a bit? I would say my redshirt freshman year, that's when I started getting a lot more touches. I ended up actually setting a record my redshirt freshman year at Missouri State for uh, most yards by a freshman. And I had started – I didn't end up starting until halfway through the season. There's 12 games. I started six of those. And that's when – like when I started getting that – sixth game out of the year, that's when I started getting quite a bit of carries. Once again, that preparation paid off, right? Sticking it out and doing the right thing. All that preparation paid off. Mm. Um, Was that pretty consistent throughout your four years, continuing to get your playing time and everything else? Oh, yes. That was very consistent throughout the next three to four years I played. But uh, then I would say – as time progressed, injuries played a factor. Changing coaching line, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of other factors that played into what could have happened with my, I guess, college career. But overall, through and through, I felt like it still gave me the type of mindset that I needed to succeed in life. And feel like, I mean, at times I was a little bit hesitant on what I, what happened or how I felt about what happened, but I feel like the best happened at the end. The best outcome came out. So at the end of your college career, um, did, did the NFL ever come calling? Was that something that you were still actively pursuing? So- that wasn't necessarily what I was pursuing. If it would have came, that would have been great. But I felt like as my freshman year, the coaches told me because of my stellar performance, they told me that, yeah, you definitely have a chance. And I've heard that all throughout my career that you have a great chance of playing in the NFL. Just have to get bigger. And I would say the start of my senior year, I, start, I came out hot, had a few 100-yard games, had a 100-yard game against Mizzou. And then injuries happened, very catastrophic, uh, uh, horrible injury, catastrophic injury. Excuse me, that's what I was trying to say. What, uh, what happened? I ended up having – so 
when I was saying I was getting bigger, I was getting a lot bigger. My muscles are getting uh, uh, very thick, very a lot of strength going through that my legs. And a freak accident happened where I just kept running. I planted to push off, and my femur bone collided with I don't know what the other one is called, but I took a two by three centimeter chunk off my femur where I had to go and have two surgeries and a cadaver in my knee. And that was all she wrote. That's crazy, man. Um, I don't think I ever actually knew that. I don't think that you've ever told me that before. Um, so once that happens, obviously, um, that that dream of the NFL kind of goes away, right? How? Goes away. <laughs> yeah. How did you uh, How did you handle it? Ah, uh, I would say realistically, there was quite a bit of a wouldn't say midlife crisis, but a uh, what do I do now? What What's the next steps? Trying to figure out a plan, and really, I mean, I'm a kid at like. 21 years old, 22 years old, literally still a kid trying to figure out my next steps and not having that type of guidance in that aspect. So I would say there was a little bit of depression, upset, but through and through, I ended up coming back, refocusing and trying to plan out the rest of my life. Man, I think that's really good. Um, for you know for aspiring high school athletes really anyone is that that moment especially early on in your life whenever and i you know not everyone has it but i think the people that do have a leg up in life early on in your life whenever something gets really kind of taken away from you it's like how do you respond from it um right so the way you responded i don't did you move immediately back home after you graduated no i didn't i never wanted to come back to bartersville never wanted to come back to oklahoma because i've been exposed to so many different cities different cultures that i did not want to come back but the best thing happened where i did have i did want to come back like i said i am aspiring aspiring businessman so i wanted to learn from the connections I had already from high school and college and coming back and learning from my grandpa, which has a, he has a small business. Now I'm learning under uh, 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 Tate boys and their little management training program and learning as much as I can about business. And I mean, who knows where life will take me. Yeah. Man, I, I'll tell you what, I had the same thought whenever I left. I was like, I'm not going to move back here, ever. I just won't. Not because, you know, I, like we, we both had, I feel like, pretty good upbringings. Like, this is a town, right. when, whenever you're growing up in it, you want to get out. Um, and especially, yeah. you get out, you go other places, you see other things, you're like, that's not where I want to be. Um, which I think speaks to the importance of everyone um, especially students my age saying, you know, get out of where you, where you're from, at least for a little bit. Um, right. Cause you learn just so much from it. Yes. Um, you grow. Yeah. You grow a ton. Um, 
you know, being out there on your own, not having your parents 15 minutes away to come help you, it, uh, it pushes you to be better. And I think that's something that's necessary really for everyone. And it also just creates a better understanding of really of humanity, which I think is kind of limited um, where we come from. So uh, we'll dive, we'll dive into the, the real meat here. Uh, we're already got, we're already at 40 minutes. Jeez. Um, we still got plenty of time. Okay. Uh, uh, do you need to go to bed? I don't know. No, I'm good. Yeah. You, you okay. Keep going. I'm just making sure. So I, I wanted to run through the whole athletics part of your life because I want to talk about being a student athlete. I want to dive into some more serious stuff now. Um, right. Bartlesville is a predominantly white suburb in the middle of Oklahoma, pretty conservative town. What was it like growing up here being a young black man? Uh, I would say, so I came here in middle school. I moved around prior to in elementary, but I was still around more people of my culture, African-American men and women. So, I mean, coming from there to Bartersville was very big culture shock and aspect of, I mean, not very many African-Americans were here and whenever I was here. I mean, we still had probably, we can say I was probably going through middle school. A lot of, say, advanced classes I took in middle school, I was the only one in there. And then in high school, I just took basic classes. I was the only one in there. I mean, there's probably like, say, 10, 15, maybe 20 black people and the school at the time? Yeah, not a lot. Um, I can count on probably two hands uh, the amount of young black people that were in our class at the time. So that culture shock obviously is a really big thing. Um, God, I'll just ask a question. Uh, do you feel like you faced uh, discrimination in one way or another growing up in high school? Yes, I would say in the form of ignorance. Um, a lot of my friends would say, uh, um, for example, won't say most of them, but just little jokes that they don't really know what they're talking about, saying uh, uh, um, some certain stereotypes like chicken, watermelon, stuff like that, or uh, saying that black people have an extra muscle that helps them move faster, a little bit more athletic, or, um, I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard of all of them. And, um, I mean, yeah, that I've, I've experienced quite a bit of that when I was here. Um, never experienced it as far as like teachers or grownups really discriminating, discriminating against myself. But I would say it was a lot of passive aggressive kids at the time but then again they may have been taught that may have been just joking who knows but still did you uh did you feel comfortable confronting them about that or was that something you didn't feel like you could do because of uh the surroundings around you um i would say definitely the surroundings around me 
the environment I was in, I would say that I I would say, yeah, I, I never really confronted any of them about it because I was like, man, I just solely just ignored it. Maybe played along, just laughed like, oh, you're funny. Just go with it. Because, I mean, uh, yeah, I just didn't care too much to really confront them because, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I'm outnumbered. I'm the minority in the situation. So it's like whether they say it now or whether they say it behind my back, it's still all the same. Um, ooh, um, as a – did it affect you at all, do you feel like, in the moment at least? Mm, I would say in the moment – I'll be like, oh, okay. So that's what we said. But uh, I, yeah, you feel some type of way about it, but either I would either, if it really bothered me, yeah, I would always be direct and I would address it, be like, hey, we can't do that anymore. Or I would just go on about my way and not talk to them. Hmm. Um. So here's a question for you is how how do you feel like teachers, um, especially in high school, college is a little bit different, but especially in high school where you're seeing a teacher every single day, how do you feel like teachers can best support students of color, especially in places where they are not predominantly represented? I actually am very glad that you asked this because I talked to I don't know if I told you about this, but I talked to one of my boys who's a teacher in a very predominantly uh, black school in Arkansas. And I was just telling him, we learn, and this may get a little bit off subject, but this is something I'm passionate about. We learn quite a bit about, say, white culture, not saying anything's wrong with white culture. I, I think that we need to learn all aspects of it, but we also need to learn indigenous culture. We need to learn African-American culture. We need to learn Asian culture. Everything that's put our society to where it is today and who all has contributed needs to be explored and celebrated in all aspects of it. And there's actually, in Tennessee, there's a bill being passed that they are actually withholding funds. Do we, do we need to go? Uh, do Keep I need going. to stop? Keep going. Okay. There's actually a bill being passed for uh, administration positions that are uh, 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 withholding funds by uh, uh, what they're not. The school has to teach the curriculum that was being taught. They can't go off of being uh, showing more predominantly black culture or what blacks have really contributed. And I mean, they think that by doing so is going to make or put a damper on white culture, which it's not going to be not uh, gentrification or anything of that nature. It's just really exploring all, I mean, the exploration of all uh, African-American culture. And I think that's a very big thing for myself growing up because I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't taught it until I got older. And 
I think that if teachers can say like 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes, I'm sure there's some time frame in the schedule that they can at least do it for 15 minutes out of the day or out once a week or something of that nature, say African-American or Asian culture, because there's so many different ethnic backgrounds that pass through the schools that need to learn their lineage as well. Yeah. Um, here in Oklahoma, I don't know if you saw this. So the legislature recently passed a bill talking about the teaching of critical race theory in schools. And, you know, you can have a, you can have a good debate about whether or not critical race theory is something that should be the lens that you teach everything through. However, uh, the state banning teachers from talking about it or teaching from that lens is really troubling to me. And it sounds like Tennessee's doing the exact same thing. Um, right. limiting, limiting teachers to talking about the, the lens or the eyes of people that have been particularly hurt by the history of this country. Um, it's absurd because it creates an intellectual bubble and one in which right. people don't really understand how we got to where we are. Um, and it's really, it's really, really troubling. Um, even in a place, you know, that's relatively conservative, like Bartlesville, most right. educators that I talk to, they're like, this is nuts because whether they see it as an issue of, you know, they want to talk about critical race theory or they just say, the government is telling me what I can and cannot talk about. Um, it seems like a pretty crazy overstep and something that we have to really try to address and fix. Um, right. Earlier, you talked about, um, you mentioned something about the importance of preparing your mind, right? Um, and you mentioned reading. Are you still a pretty active reader, even in adulthood? I, I read so much material, it's ridiculous. I am... If I'm not reading, most of the time, so when I'm not hanging out, I'm reading. If I'm not reading, I'm watching YouTube videos on one of my favorite things to do is I love strategy. I love playing guess, uh, chess. I love watching strategizing, uh, strategizing games on, I mean, chess, learning new openings. And if I'm not doing that, I'm learning something else in business. Like right now, the book that I'm actually learning about is the critical critical thinking and reasoning and economics, uh, just foundational principles. And if you're not a lifelong learner, you will stay stagnant in life and you have to learn, you have to read, you have to educate your mind and do as much as you can to prepare. So glad you talked about that, that concept of being a lifelong learner. Um, I think that so many people in our society, um, just generally speaking, are so consumed by whether it's technology addiction or what have you, um, they learn what they learn at a young age, and that's the skill set that they work from from the rest of their life. And the things I, the things I find troubling about the younger generation at this point is that there is not a 
love of being curious being fostered, right? Like, I don't, know, I don't know about you, talking about YouTube videos, but like whenever I find something that piques my interest, I might watch videos on it for two hours because I just, oh. I want to know, right? Right. I don't know. I don't know if you see that same thing with younger kids today, but they have the entire world's worth of information at their fingertips in a phone and they have been, I think a lack of parenting and education about it. They basically learned that watching TikTok or whatever, whatever it is, is uh, more important or more valuable than truly engaging in just being someone that wants to, to learn and find stuff out about the world. Right. What's I, I, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was just saying, I agree. It's I, So it's funny you say that. I think that social media as a whole is not an as certain aspects, certain quantities, short durations. I feel like it's good for you, but long hours out of the day, it's, it's, I feel like it's more detrimental than good. Cause I mean, it's rewiring, it's hitting those dopamine spikes. I'm, those are for another conversation, but I've I've talked about those so much on here. What do you uh what do you think your average phone time is every day on your phone? So I actually look at mine and I average so I'm not proud of this. I actually average five hours out on my phone and out of those five hours out of the week, I a lot of it is chess <laughs> playing chess. <laughs> <laughs> And the other portion I would say is YouTube videos and documentaries on my phone. Yeah, but that's like, you know, that's the thing I tell my kids is I'm like, just because you're spending time on your phone, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing necessarily. But it's like, what are you spending your time doing? And exactly. playing chess, I mean, that is a very engaging game for your brain. You're thinking, you're doing something active. Um and then, like you talked about, it's like watching things to educate yourself. You know, I don't care if you're on your phone for three hours of the day necessarily, but if you're using it to be productive or to better yourself or something like that, like it's it's understandable, I guess. Like that's the good aspect to it. Um, you're talking about reading. What's uh, What's one book that you would recommend that a high school student reads? All right, so depends. The first book I ever read was so I love Greek mythology, love Greek mythology, love history. And the first book I read, if you're look into more adventurous, uh, want your imagination to grow and just take off to the races, Percy Jackson was my fav, one of my favorite series of all time. The books, anyway, the movies. Aragon was a really good one too but if we're talking more of uh, self-development and growth um, from a leader standpoint and this I mean women can read this as well but this it's uh, uh, James Wooden John uh, Leadership Properties he was a uh, UCLA 
head football coach. John Wooden. And John Wooden, yes. Uh, I think it's Leadership Properties. Hold on. See if I can pull that up real quick. While he's doing that, for the for those of you that don't know, John Wooden was the basketball coach at UCLA for probably the better part of three decades. Um, won an obscene amount of national titles, developed some of the best uh, NBA players that we've known to this day, and was renowned for being someone that just he was he was basically a developer of men, for lack of a better term. Like like Kalen said, it can be women as well, but just was adept at helping people become the best they could be. Go ahead. It is, yep, John Wooden on leadership. One of the best books you can read. What uh, What sticks out about it? So, like you said, he is a great basketball coach, Hall of Fame, national titles. But what really sticks out is the fact that he is taking young men and developing them into men in the age of 17, 18, 19, 20, all the way to 22, 23. And he's instilling great characteristics and men so that they can prosper later on in life. It's not just about basketball. Basketball is just a stepping stone to further their education, further their growth in life. And there's so many principles that, which I learned then, but I'm learning now. And one thing that I, uh, I'm a big, big uh, music connoisseur, and Logic says in one of his uh, verses is that the duty to the educated is to educate the uneducated. And that's exactly what John does. Dude, that's uh, that's off that last album that he released, isn't it? It is. Yeah. in one of the, one of the monologue tracks, such a man, such a powerful, powerful idea is the educated passing on their wisdom and knowledge. That reminds me of uh, Plato's allegory of the cave is that whenever people become enlightened, um, they go back for the people that haven't, haven't experienced the same enlightenment. Um, right. Yeah, man. So, 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 so good. Um, we're getting close to an hour. I don't want to keep you up too late. So let me ask this question. Um, who was the most impactful teacher that you had uh, while you were, let's say, in middle school or high school, and what makes them stick out in your mind? So I am a person, I love numbers. Logic, straightforward, I need, uh, it's easier to deal with absolutes. Numbers is what helps me in a lot of things, and I would say Dr. Dr. Metter, Professor Metter. Am I saying his name right? So I think it's Dr. Metter would probably be the correct terminology. Dr. Metter, physics, loved physics, loved all aspects of it. It was probably the, in high school, the thing that stood out more so than anything else. It, it was 
wait a minute. Am I no? Was Metter the English teacher? No, Metter was uh, Metter was the physics teacher. You got that right. No. Okay. I think I'm thinking of somebody else as well. But yes, physics Miss uh, Doctor Metter was by far my favorite teacher. Um, what what stuck out about him? What what? Obviously, physics is a hard class. That's not an easy class in high school. Um, right. So it's not that it was easy. What made him stick out as a teacher? The way that he really interacted with everybody. He always had a smile on his face. He was always there. He was always present, really engaging in everything that he did. And I feel like it was just real world applications. I, I'll say I wasn't his best student, but I loved his class. I loved coming to his class. I loved learning all about physics. There was even, so what's funny is I kept everything, everything we learned about in my physics class, I kept, I kept the notebook all through college. And I was always, I mean, I never took any physics, uh, uh, physics courses, but I would always just go back and look over it because I loved looking and just thinking in that type of manner. Mm. All right. We're going to wrap up on this last question. Um, you obviously you gave advice to the high school athlete that wants to go to college. Let's just speak more generally. Um, what, what are the three pieces of advice that you would leave for young high school students Um who are about to go out into the world um, to embark on the journey of life? What are the three things you would tell them? One, I would say, even if you're an athlete or you're not an athlete, college isn't for everybody. There's still so many other aspects that you can go into. The tech field is very big right now, and there's other courses that you can do, like trade schools and so college isn't for everybody. There's different aspects that you can go into and really be great in. I would say when you are in college, speak to some of your professors and try and learn as much as you can to see what your skill set is and go towards what your true interests are and just really stay focused and do everything you can to learn from them. And three, I would say have fun, but not too much fun that it takes away from the purpose of going to college. It's awesome, man. Well, I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I feel like we could go on for three hours if we wanted to, but people might, yeah. get, tired. People might get tired of my voice at that time. So. Well, guys, uh, thank you if you have made it all the way through to the end. Uh, this has been another episode of Teacher's Pet. I want to thank Kalen for coming on. He is a dear friend, and there is never a time that we get together where we don't get to have conversations like this. So go do that for yourself. Reward yourself with a great conversation with great friends, and you all have a great night. <laughs>